0: who was and is and is to come. Man, what a powerful statement that song is because if He just was and if He just is, but if He was not to come, then, and boy, really that's the story of Easter is that He was and after He died, He still is. And even though he went away, he is to come. We're going to talk about a little different view. I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time talking to you about the story of Easter. Because quite honestly, if you've been to church more than about three times on Easter, you've probably heard about all the perspectives that people (laughs) want to try to give. You know, we know the simple story. Simple but powerful. We know the the very simple story, but we're going to focus on this. I'm going to give us a little backstory on it, but we're going to look at this passage in Mark chapter 16, 1 through 7. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Uh-huh. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You know, the simple backstory is that man was a sinner. That man was in need of salvation. That there was a Debt that had to be paid, and because of our sin, because of our, the, the, the evil that pervaded our world through sin, then there was perfection that was needed in order to pay the price so that we could be reconciled back to God, a relationship that God had intended for us to have, that God had created the world and created mankind in order to enjoy, and yet then that relationship became fractured because sin entered into the world and separated us from God. All the way up until the time of Christ, we had people who were always having to try to follow after the law and do things uh, to the best of their ability. And then as any of us would, they would fail and they would uh, make mistakes and they would do things wrong. And so God provided... A system of substitutionary sacrifice where that the, the penalty could be paid for. Christ comes along, God sends him, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for the purpose of that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? Basic, basic, simple, you know, John three sixteen comes along people don't want to believe that this guy who's born in this town to um, an, an un at the time when when it was found out that really that she's pregnant she would have basically been an unwed teen mother uh, they can't figure this out they're looking at uh, No, nobody's gonna believe that that you have all of a sudden been been uh, impregnated but you've never had a relationship with a man and so this carpenter that ends up marrying his mom, and while it's a noble profession, it wasn't a high-ranking profession in their society. And, and could there be any good thing that would come from where he's going to be born? Mm, come on There's all of this stuff that's that's this backstory. And and then we come along and, and finally Jesus really begins his ministry and And so he has these guys that are following him and people that are believing in him. And the religious establishment is upset by this because in their minds it was all about having people follow them. It was all about having their entourage and and having control. And here's a guy who's dispelling all of this and saying that God wants to be with you. God wants, in fact, that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And and man, this is controversial and, and he's eating with sinners and he's going to their homes and he's telling them that they can be set free and people that are not supposed to be anywhere near him in other folks' houses, uh, women are coming and, and crying so much that, that their tears are washing his feet and they're taking their hair and, and drying his feet off in this culture that they walked in sandals and at times even just barefoot and, and would have dirty feet and was just so humble before. Him. people, oh, don't you know the kind of person this is that's touching you? If you knew the kind of way this was, you wouldn't allow her to touch you. And he says, yeah, but you didn't do what you were supposed to do and take care of this when I got here. I mean, this was, oh, it was controversial to people. It was, it was separating people from him because the, the Bible says that he came to divide. It was going to create division because all of a sudden it wasn't going to be just get by. Right. Just, just do some religious things and get by. It was going to be have a relationship with God. Yes. Yes. They get so incensed with what's going on with him that they eventually decide that he has to be put to death. They tried a couple of different times. They would have stoned him. They would have thrown him off a cliff, but it was not his time which just fit in with the narrative of Jesus saying that no man takes my life, but I choose to lay it down, and then I will take it back up uh, again. Jesus reaches this point finally, though, where they, they have decided we are going to end his life. We're going to, to take his life. He has rebelled enough against the establishment. He has rebelled enough against the government. He's rebelled enough against religion that we're going to take his life. So they take him. They beat him, they mock him, they blindfold him and hit him and say, Oh, if you know if you're God, you should be able to tell which one of us was it that hit you. Put a crown of thorns on his head. And we're not talking about even little thorns. They in in their culture this could have been very long thorns and all of these things that that were being done to him. That were being done to him. And so as he was going through and experiencing all of this, the whole time doing so, so that you and I, and those to come until he returns, would have a, pra- a path of salvation to walk down. As he continued, they laid him on that cross, they nailed through his feet and through his hands. If you, if you never have, you should just now with the advent of the internet, there's plenty of opportunity to go on and read the medical accounts of what his death had to be like. Because as he hung from that and he could not breathe properly and he would have had to push up with his feet that had the nail driven through them and try to push up with it in order... To get his lungs to be free enough to try to breathe. And the pain and the agony that would have existed in his feet and in his hands as he's pulling against this that has pierced sinew and, and ligament and 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 in place in his hands and the, the blood flowing, and they they pierce him in the side, and blood and water runs out. He's gone through all of that. He's finally said it is finished and he has accomplished the work. They've taken him down off the cross. He's been buried in a borrowed tomb. And all of a sudden we come to this place where we are now. All over the the city, all over the country today, there's no telling. I I can't tell you how many different sermon topics I've seen. Because God has put on different people's hearts what it is they're going to preach from about Easter. There's some that will preach from, the, from the, mes- the perspective of those at the foot of the cross. There are those that will preach maybe from Jesus' perspective. Some that will preach from God's perspective. Some that will preach from those who, who uh, lingered back and, and followed him at a distance. Maybe from the women who were going to the tomb. I, there, there's so many perspectives that are there. This week God just dropped into my heart. and We're going to go back and read this scripture again because we're going to talk about it from the perspective regarding the stone. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, They saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The women recognized something. They recognized that this stone was too large for them to handle by themselves. There are three that are going, but yet they, in in walking along this path, are talking to each other and said, who's going to move this stone? Now, if this stone would have been something that the three of them obviously could have moved, then you would assume that one of them would have said, well, we can do it. We can accomplish this. We can do this. There's three of us. But it was bigger. It was more impressive. It was more large in size. No telling how much it weighed. And they recognized that we can't handle this. As I was reading that, I thought, now here's an interesting question is why they even believed that anyone would roll it aside? Because the stone had been sealed in order to ensure that they prevented a hoax. In Matthew, or in Mark chapter 16, he says, or Matthew chapter 27, I'm sorry, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, speaking of Jesus, said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now still, I find it interesting because it's not like that Pilate and this discussion happened with all the disciples and these ladies. So they didn't know that, that he had just said, all right, just make it through three days. Get past that third day. The stone has been sealed. The stone is now being guarded. The tomb has someone there to make sure nobody gets in. Nobody touches it. Nobody sees him. Nobody does anything because if they do, they're going to perpetrate a hoax on us. And this guy's already set it up because he said, I'm going to rise in three days. These folks are going to try to make it happen. So seal the, seal the stone and set a guard. The enemy, the enemy had intended that this stone would remain in place. The next thing I saw was each each recounting of this event reminds us of one descriptive statement about the stone that we were saying. It was large. It was a large stone. So as I began to think about this stone, I considered these two things. I considered, number one, it was larger than one alone, in fact, with these ladies, that even three could handle. The second thing that I realized was the enemy desired for this stone to stay in place. So I had to ask myself a question. Why did God have the stone rolled away? Where well, you know? God could have simply had Jesus come forth. He, he, could have, he could have translated him from one place to another place. Would have never been necessary to roll away the stone. He didn't have to roll away the stone so Jesus could come out. See, if if God is who he is, and if he can raise people from the dead, and if he can get you know, later, we're gonna see, we're gonna see that Jesus passes into a room where they're, they're, the doors are locked and all that stuff. I mean, there, there's no reason why for, for Jesus' sake that the, door, that, the, that the stone has to be rolled away. And so as I was sitting there thinking about that and going, okay, God, why did you have to roll a stone away then? And then it occurred to me, the stone had to be rolled away so that we could see what God was doing. The stone was obstructing our view of what God was doing. The stone was obstructing our view of what God was accomplishing. Because remember, when the ladies get there, and they're saying, well, who's going to roll the stone away for us? And they see that the stone is rolled away, and here is an angel sitting there, and he says, go ahead and go in and see where he was see what God has done but here's an important thing it was not an end when they walked in and saw that Jesus body was not there it was not just what God has done it was now i see what God is doing because now that Jesus has been raised from the dead then all of the things that he had that he had stated would be done and accomplished in him after that he came back from from the dead were now in play they now were beginning to happen so now it was not just well God raised him from the dead it was God raised him from the dead and look all of these other things are beginning to occur now the things that we that had to be questioned I mean let's just be honest The people that were following Christ, we already know there was was some amount of doubt. There was some struggle. They've just seen their leader be killed and buried in a tomb. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. It wasn't just that that they took him and that they ended his life. They embarrassed him. They embarrassed him. They intended to, we're going to run off his followers because we're going to set an example and show them, look at what we will do to people who follow somebody like this. We will mock you, beat you, spit on you, mistreat you, make you go in public trying to carry a cross. We're going to abuse you in every way possible because we're going to end this. We're going to stop this. And yet Jesus saying, says... Father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. What now what, what what they don't they don't know what they're doing. I often think that you know we we hear people say that well what it is is they didn't realize he was the son of God because you know we know that had they realized he was the son of God they never would have done any of this stuff. I think another thing is they simply didn't realize that they were doing what God had already planned. They didn't realize that they were, they thought they were acting on their own. They thought that they were accomplishing what they had desired. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. You know, they're doing this and they're doing it, but, but, they're, but they don't know what they're doing. They're simply doing what you've already designed and intended for them to do. From, because the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's right. It was always intended to happen. These guys, when they were, before they were ever born, it was always intended this was going to be their role. Before that, they ever went into the army, it was always intended this was going to be what they were going to do. The stone had to be rolled away so that these ladies, these disciples, these people could go and they could <laughs> see what God was doing. But then I thought of something. Sometimes there are stones in our lives that prevent us from seeing what God is doing. Uh See, God has said things in His Word. God has stated things that He intends to do in our lives and, and His promises and how He is going to bless, but how He's also going to shape, how He is going to mold us, how He's going to form us But sometimes there are just stones, there are things in our lives that cause us to not be able to see what God is doing. And just like that stone that these ladies walked up on, sometimes these stones in our lives seem bigger than what we can handle on our own. We look and we say, I just can't see God at work. I can't see God in my life. I can't see God in my family. I can't see God in my job or whatever it is. And it seems like whatever that stone is, it's too big for me to be able to deal with it. So I think sometimes in our heart, in moments, we're saying the same thing that these three ladies are. We're saying, who will roll this stone away from me? The second thing, just like that stone that was there, the enemy wants to seal that stone in place in your life and guard around it to ensure that you cannot see and know what God is doing in your life. He wants that to be in place. He will fight to ensure that you don't remove that stone. He will do something. He'll he'll try to force you to accept this thing is here to stay because some other authority has sealed it, stamped it, and put a guard in place. And I couldn't move the stone on my own to begin with, but I can't even get to the stone to remove it. So it must have to stay in place. And so... A lot of times the things that we're dealing with and that we're fighting with and that we're struggling with, we don't even realize the enemy is trying to guard that and keep it in place in your life. That's right. What type of things turn into these stones in our lives? Feeling let down by God. We don't, we don't want to admit it sometimes, but we feel uh, we may we may feel that in something in our life, I thought God was going to do this, I thought God was going to accomplish this. You're not dead yet. You're still here. It may not be over. It's not finished. But sometimes we feel that we've been let down by God, and so that becomes this big stone in our way. Sometimes because we don't feel a need for God. You know, somebody made a statement to me here the other day, and I, I think it's very legitimate. They said, you know, when when people's life gets tough, when their situation gets hard, when their job gets threatened, when things are bad and they're struggling and all that, then then they show up for God. You know, God, I need you. I, I need your help. America has a tendency to do that, y'all. I mean look, let's just be honest. It's hard, it's hard to go out here and, and say, Oh yeah, you know, we're we're a Christian nation. We've got a lot of things that we were founded on. But man, it seems like nine out of ten days we're pursuing our stuff. We're pursuing what we need. And then when something happens, if they strike the the twin towers, if if we have uh, you know, God forbid something like Brussels has just experienced and all these other places. And all of a sudden, we want to pray and we want to come before God and, and we want to ask God to do. But we felt no need for God up till then. That's right. that's right. But then, when all of a sudden, when we can't find an answer and we don't have a solution, then all of a sudden we need God. But the rest of the time, there's this big stone that's blocking our view from seeing God and seeing what God is wanting to do in us because we don't feel a need right. for God. Some people had a bad church experience. And no sense in pretending like it doesn't happen. That's right. Right? I mean You had some bad stuff happen. You had people hurt you. You had people that you trusted betray that. I had bad service one time at this restaurant. I did. I had bad service at that restaurant and so I I choose really not to go back to that restaurant. Okay? But I promise I didn't stop eating. (laughs) Amen. It's well I had this bad experience and I Come on, you don't do that in any of the rest of your life. Because it's not just, you know, people say, well, you know, I just got where I don't eat out at all. Well, it wasn't about eating out. It was about eating, period. Right? I don't eat. Sure you do. I had a bad experience. Great. Then don't go that place again. Forgive them, you know. Hey, if I, if I bite into my hamburger, find a roach, worse, find half a roach, <laughs> <laughs> swallow fast, swallow fast. Look, I will leave, and I will probably talk to the manager on the way out, right? You know, I'm not going to throw my food in the floor and go kicking trays and knocking tables over. And, but I'm going to get up and leave. But if I'm still hungry, I'm probably going to drive down the street and <laughs> go somewhere else and go, hey, you know, probably call some of y'all and go, hey, I need a better restaurant to eat at. What do you know? You know, what, where do you know one? You go, hey, oh, go here. And, you know, what happened? I had a bad experience. Well, hey, don't go eat here. Right? Y'all do this stuff. You don't go eat there because it's bad. Their service is bad. they they got a new chef and he doesn't halfway cook anything. Don't go there. But boy, you need to go try out this place over here, right? But sometimes that bad church experience becomes a big stone and people can't see. Maybe just because you've been hurt by others, period, and you got unforgiveness. Look, that's happened to a lot of people. Doesn't matter whether it's within family. Maybe it was on a job. Maybe it was in church. Maybe it was in public. Maybe it was somebody you didn't even really know. I've seen people that they have a a, a a lot of trust in somebody, and then they believe in someone, and then all of a sudden they they're hurt, and that becomes a big stone because when you're when you have this big stone, I thought about uh, let me let me let me just show you the picture again from the the opening slide. I, I picked this picture in particular. And then I cropped it to make it look this way. There is a beautiful castle in this picture. Do you see it? No. No. Because all you can see is the stone. See, sometimes these things in our life, we get so focused on them and they get so big that you can't see the other stuff that really is in the picture of your life. It's in the picture of what God is trying to do. Because you're so close to this thing and it gets so big that all you can see is that stone. And you know what it begins to do? It begins, it begins to flavor every conversation you have. You can't even you can't have a conversation about somebody playing baseball without talking about your bad church experience. You can't, you can't listen to somebody talk about building a, a shed in their backyard without talking about how you felt let down by God. You can't talk about it raining outside without certain talking about how somebody hurt you. Why? Because that stone gets so big that you can't see anything else. One of the stones that can begin to block our view of God as being too busy. Man, that's the one that God got after me this week. Being too busy. Getting too absorbed. And then we're so focused that we can't see what God is doing. Ever notice I was, I was listening to, uh, I was listening to a, a video from one of the studies we went through and, and I heard this statement again this week and man, God was using it and some other guys, some pastor friends of mine that were calling me just to, to speak to me about some stuff. And, and I remember that guy said on this video, he says, isn't it interesting that we look down on someone who is lazy, but we applaud someone who's a workaholic? It's the same thing. It's just opposite ends of the spectrum. They're both wrong. Sometimes our expectations of others become such a big stone because we, are, we have such high expectations of other people that when they can't achieve that, but also we allow others' expectations of us. To become a big stone because they, they begin to tell what they expect out of us and what they need out of us and what they want out of us. And then all of a sudden you realize, I can't do that. I can't do that without having problems with these other things. Serious problem. And finally, one of the things that becomes a stone that keeps us locked up, bound up, and not seeing what God is doing simply because of unbelief. We just can't believe. And what God is doing yes it's a all these things these stones have been preventing you from seeing God and what he is doing yes, sir. just like that day that we celebrate now as Easter God wants the stones to be removed so that you can step in that you can look and see and that you can recognize God, and that you can recognize what God is doing. And so, take out your stone. You got a stone. So you just hold that stone in your hand. Kind of look at it. You know, I didn't give you big stones, right? I didn't give you like, you know some boulder. just gave you a stone. Some of you got larger stones than others. You know, you've got, you've got some look like a little pebble and, and then you've got these that are big. Mine, mine's one. It'd make a good skipping stone. <laughs> was down at the river. That's kind of our lives, too, some people. The stone in their life, it, it's, it's not quite as ginormous as it is in other people's lives. I gave you a little a little rock here, a little stone for a reason. On that day long ago, when these three ladies were walking to that tomb, honestly, keep in mind, they weren't going to see if he had done what he had said he would do. He's dead, they, so we're taking spices to go on his body so it won't so it won't smell. They weren't embalming and stuff like we, you know, they were gonna take and put this stuff on. They weren't going in faith. They weren't they weren't showing up to say, hey, we're going to look, because he said three days and he was gonna rise again. He said, if you can tear down this temple in three days, I'll build it back up. And they weren't doing any of that. They were going to see him there dead. Remember. I I like the emphasis when you read it. If you read the statement from the angel, what I believe is properly, he told them that. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He didn't say you seek Jesus who's supposed to be risen. You came seeking Jesus that was crucified but he's not here anymore. Amen. That Jesus is not here anymore. That Jesus that you came up See, sometimes you go up to that problem in your life, you're looking for it to still be a dead area in your life you're looking for it to still be something where God's not doing anything. You're still looking for, when you get up in the morning, whatever that area is in your life, you're still expecting it to be just dead as a doornail with no life, God not moving, God's not there, there's nothing getting accomplished. And so you view it as this big stone that is so large that three of us can't move the thing, and somebody's going to have to do it for us. So I wanted to give you this rock. I want you to do something. I have to take my glasses off to do this. I want you to take that thing and put it up right here in front of your eye. Close your other eye. What can you see? You just see the stone, don't you? Take that thing and move it way back out here as long as your arm is. Now what do you see? Everybody in a rock. Everybody in a rock. It's true. When you got all up on this thing, when you got so close to it, man, that rock looked huge, but when you got it in right perspective, all of a sudden, yes. that thing's not nearly as big as what you thought it was. Now, I want to give you a bigger perspective here for a moment. This is not about distancing yourself from the rock this is not about distancing yourself from this stone in your life this is about understanding the magnitude of God compared to how big you believe that the stone is. Just like you take this thing and you put it in the palm of your hand and you go this really isn't all that big, it's not a problem, not a problem for me to move I could throw this thing away from me. Can you imagine how God looks at the things in your life that are those stones? that you're sitting there going, somebody will have to roll this away from me. Who will roll this stone away so that I can see God and that I can see what He is doing in my life? I need someone. They already knew they needed help, and God had already prepared it and sent it on the way. When they showed up, even showing up with no faith, showing up expecting the situation to still be dead, expecting... If they'd have come on day one, stone would have still been in place. Yeah, oh, you hear me. If they'd have come on day two, stone would have still been in place. God had spoken and said, this is my timing. Mm -hmm. And on day three, I'm going to come out of this. But if your faith would have stopped at day one, then you go, God's not doing anything in this. Now, God, God's timing is such that it wasn't going to happen on day one. It wasn't going to happen on day two. And you'd still be looking, going, see the stone still there, and nothing's happening, and God's not working. And the whole time, God's going, it's just not time yet. But when it's time, that stone, that looks like it is covering everything, and you can't see, is going to be so small, and it's just going to be rolled away. And you came looking for death, but I'm going to show you that there's life. So this is all I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to take a moment and examine your life. See any stone in your life that is keeping you from seeing God in that area of your life. Any stone that is keeping you from seeing what God is doing in that area, even if it's that you kind of see what God is doing, but it's obscured some by this thing in your life that you're going, I need help to roll this thing away. We had a bucket. We had an empty bucket with these stones. Sean's going to bring it. He's going to stand here and hold his bucket for me for a minute. I had had a pastor friend call me this week. God, God dropped this sermon in my heart Tuesday. I had a pastor friend call me on Wednesday, and we were talking. We were talking about this other building. We were talking about all the work and all this stuff. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was tired and I was stressed. It was showing. He told me, he said, Nathan, I've known you for 20 years. Just a few years after you got married. She and I got married one month before I turned 18. He said, I don't know why, but I need to tell you this. Your whole life, ever since you got married and the whole time I've known you, you have always struggled to prove yourself. You were the youngest, you were you know, at work and, and you always were struggling to prove yourself. Quit trying to prove that you belong as a pastor at that church. Mm-hmm. Yes. And quit trying to prove to God that you're doing what he wants you to do. He already loves you. You're not gonna make it any better by what you do. You're not gonna make it any less. He said, quit trying to prove yourself. I'm going to be honest with you. I was sitting on, uh, at work on the phone when I started crying. I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't. This was two days after God had just dropped this whole, the, 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 the scripture passage, the message, the what's your stone? And this guy calls me and tells me this. And and, and I did. I, just, I tears started running down my face. And if anybody walked in my office right then, it'd have been kind of strange and <laughs> been an odd moment. And in that moment, you see it however you want to see it. It's my story. I can tell it. God God spoke into my heart and said, go get these rocks and have them there because if you really want to prove something, then be the first one to say Easter 2016, my stone was I've always been trying to prove myself to everybody in my life. But I don't want that stone anymore. What's your stone? have to ask you to do it. What's your stone? They're doing it. What's your stone?